Good morning, let us begin. I, I apologize for the uh, little bit of the later start. I'll tell you actually something very beautiful. So in uh, one of my other roles, I'm involved in a boys' yeshiva here in town, YMC, Yeshivas Makar Chayim. And this morning, uh, Tamir Goodman ran a basketball clinic for the basketball team at YMC, together with a group of boys from the inner city. It was um, su- such an incredible Kiddush Hashem. Such a Kiddush Hashem. And the opportunity, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. The golden life is to be able to build bridges with all different parts of community. And Baruch Hashem, the opportunity to see different communities, right, to di- different types of minority communities come together over a shared language of sports is really a, a fascinating thing, a beautiful dynamic and incredible Kiddush Hashem. Halavai. So many more things like this should happen and the bonds between all parts of our greater community should be built stronger. So we'll say so again, but I apologize. That was my, that was my, ex- I think it's a pretty solid excuse, by the way, as far as excuses goes, I think this definitely, probably much better than what I've heard from most of you. I'm just going to put that out there. Anyway, okay, we'll say with that, let us, let us begin. Uh, no, no, that I don't do. I, I didn't even loosen my tie. All right, so let's say, so, so let, let's begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Kislev. Josh and Becca Friedman for dedicating all the shurim this month. Lili Nishmas, Josh's father, Yisrael Yehuda Ben, Harav Chaim Rafael. To thank Sammy and Malka Esterson for dedicating the shurim memory of their parents. Yitzchok Leib Ben Aaron Akoin, Sarah Rachel Bas Baruch Avram, Hinda Bas Henech Afraim, the continued Gizunt and Hatzlacha of Mr. Morton Esterson, Admea Ve'esim Shanim Tovos. To thank the Pepper family. For dedicating the Shurim this month, the commemoration of the yard site of Shmuel's brother, Yosef Pepper, Yosef Davis, Yechonon Ben Yaakov. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Ayal and Sarah Steinberg, in the exclusive Rafur Shlema for Shulamis Pasusha, Hilary Jacobson Kent, and Akiva Kent, in memory of Hilary's father, Harold Mitnick, Tzvi Hirsch Ben Chanoch, Zichron Levracha. And to thank our Dafyomi sponsors, the Birnbaum family, in honor of Bernard's birthday, Baruch Hashem, Emeret Hashem, Mishabizocha, Ameve Esim Shanim Tovos. So say with that, let us begin. We have a lot to do today, a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is daf mem. We left off. We left off, I will say, on the bottom of, again, continuing on the sugya of Biker Cholim, which we began yesterday. We left off yesterday on the bottom of Lamites, Amadbeis 39b. Amrabi Chanino. So we'll say it's two, four, six lines up from the bottom. Amrabi Achabar Chanino. Kolamavakir Chola, anyone who goes in and visits a sick person. Notal Echa Mishishim Tsaro. Takes one sixtieth of his tsar, one sixtieth of his pain. So the Gemara says, now both say, it's interesting. It's interesting. So the Gemara says, if that's the case, if that's the case, why not go ahead and have 60 people come in and visit him at once, thereby removing all of his illness? So the Gemara says, So ultimately, this is also actually, this takes us back to our Ksuvas days. This is like the Isuraisa, the one-tenth of the estate, like we had by Rabbi Nassan. Rabbi say, we'll get to that, we'll get to that in just a moment. So the Gemara says, say, so essentially, this is actually very interesting, because we're all familiar with this idea. It's actually Gemara Maseches Brachas as well. The Gemara Maseches Brachas, the Lashon over there is, goes, if a person visits a sick person, ultimately, again, they go ahead and they take one-sixtieth of his illness. Here it's one sixtieth of, of, of his tsar. And I will say the Gemara is teaching us a very profound idea. Tsar, right? Tsar is pain. Pain could be physical, pain could be emotional. What Chazal are sensitizing us to is that sometimes when a person is suffering, 
Only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. And when you go ahead and the person is in pain and you are there and you're there with them, even if you do not go ahead and take a piece of their illness, you absolutely take a piece of their tsar. And even if it's a very small piece of their tsar, maybe it's only one sixtieth, but the knowledge that when I'm struggling, I'm not struggling by myself. The knowledge that when I'm struggling, someone else there is alongside me. The knowledge that when I'm having pain, ultimately at the end of the day, someone is there to hold my hand, that helps take away some small amount of the time experiencing. So the Gemara says, Ube Ben Gilo. However, where does this work? Where does this work? Ben Gilo. Now, both say Ben Gilo is interesting. If you look at the Ran, Ran says Ben Gilo, second to last line. Shenolod Hamavakir Bemazalo Shachola. We talk, we'll say, when does it work that the person who's visiting takes one sixtieth of the tsar? Only if the visitor was born under the same astrological sign as the person who is ill. Rashi, on the other hand, understands Ben Gilo, Bacher Kamoso, Ozakain Lezakain. Ben Gilo means someone the same age. We'll say, so if we go, if we go ultimately with Rashi's interpretation, it's actually very profound. Sometimes, so if we go with the idea, that when you visit a sick person, you take one sixtieth of their tsar, the recognition that at the end of the day, you're there for someone, and therefore the knowledge that they're not alone, by definition, moves some of the tsar. So I that's most acutely felt with someone who could relate to what it is that you're going through. I say, sometimes people are going through suffering or people are going through difficulties, and I can't relate to what it is that they're going through. But Rashi's pointing out over Ben Gilo means someone your age, right? Someone in your stage of life. When someone who, you know, I say this happens to all of us, you know, you hear something dramatic or tragic about something happening to someone much older. It's okay, they're much older. You hear it happening to someone your age, suddenly again, it, 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 it's, what's the word, strikes home? Straight in other words, it's so much closer to my heart because I can relate to it. So Rashi says, Rashi sings something amazing over here. When is it that a visit can be most impactful and remove some level of the tsar, of the person who is ill? The Ben Gilo with someone who could relate to the tsar of the person who is suffering. Now, to be clear, the mitzvah of Bikr Cholim is, no matter what age or no matter what stage the visitor is, and anytime you go to visit someone who's sick, that's a mitzvah. But the ability to shoulder someone else's pain along with them often is someone who's in the same stage of life, who could truly relate to what the person who is suffering is undergoing. Incredible. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says as follows. Good, that's Ben Gilo. The son of Rabbi Omer, Basani Zoros Minichse Achin. So, this is what we're saying before. A daughter who is supported from the from the estate of her brothers, Notelas Iser Nechasim, takes one tenth of the estate as her dowry. Amrulol Rabbi said, Rabbi Ledvaracha, Mishiesh La Esabanos Ubein Ubein. Someone who has ten daughters and one son, Eino Leben Bemakom Bonus Klum. The son will get nothing because each daughter gets a tenth. The son will be left with nothing. No, no, no. What it means is daughter number one takes a tenth, right? For her dowry. Then daughter number two takes what? A tenth of what's left. Daughter number three takes a tenth of what's left. So there's always something left over. The Gemara is bringing this in because it's the same way. When you go to visit someone, you take a 60th of their tsar, of their pain and suffering away. So again, it's not the pshat that if 60 people converge on the chola at once, Baruch Hashem, Mazel Tov, he's cured. But rather, again, what it means is each one takes a successive 60, 60th from the remaining illness. Much in the same way that we saw by the dowry case. Incredible. Rav Chalbo, let's listen to this case. Rav Chalbo Cholash. Rav got sick. Got sick. Nofik Achriz Rav Kahana, top of Mem. Rav Chalbo Bosh. So Rav Kahana went out. Rav Kahana went out and he announced. 
Rabbi Chalbo is sick. Lo ika de ka'asi. No one came to visit. No one came to visit. I'm saying, what's the pshat? Right? What's the pshat? No one came to visit Rabbi Chalbo. See, I'm saying, what's the, we know what the pshat is. We hear about people who are in need all of the time. Why is it that so often we don't answer the call? It's not because we don't care. It's not because we're not empathic. It's because we're busy. Or we perceive that we're too busy. And so people get caught up in their own lives. When you get caught up enough in your own life, you just simply, you hear things, you hear things, but you don't internalize it. So people hear that Rabbi Chalbo is sick. But again, all right, okay, I'm certainly going to adapt in for him. But Lamais, I got to go to work. I have this, I have that. So no one visits. No one visits. So what happened? So lo ike de ka'asi, they said there was once an episode with one of the Tamidim of Rabbi Akiva. Shechala, lo nichnesu chachamim levakra. So was Rabbi Akiva had a Talmud who was ill. No one, none of his rabbinic colleagues came to visit him. Nichnas, Rabbi Akiva levakra. Rabbi Akiva came in to visit. And because Rabbi Akiva literally went ahead and swept, I will say ripto means when you, they, they had dirt floors. So you would sprinkle water on the floor in order, to keep the, in order to keep the dirt settled. So Rabbi Akiva came in and Rabbi Akiva went ahead and scrubbed. He, you know, he sprinkled and he swept. And I will say, I'll point out to you if, you, if you look at the rush for just a moment, the rush is in the bottom right-hand column, about four, five lines into the rush. He says, Sheikib dover ripto lefanov, lefnea chola b'tzivay Rabbi Akiva. So the rush just points out, it doesn't necessarily mean that Rabbi Akiva himself went ahead and swept, but rather Rabbi Akiva came in, he saw that sweeping and sprinkling needed to be done, so he made sure to get someone to provide this service. Rebose, the Rush says, you see from here an incredible aspect of bigger cholim. Rebose, the Rush explains, what is the primary essence of the mitzvah of bigger cholim? What's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is to see if the chola is taken care of. In other words, why do I go to visit a sick person? To look around, to see, is everything in place? Does he have what he needs to eat? Does he have what he needs to drink? Is the house kept? Is, right, is the temperature okay? Is there enough light? That, that's the mitzvah. So Rabbi Akiva goes in and he sees no one's swept. No one sprinkled the floor. See, he goes ahead and does this, or has someone do it. Amrleh, Rabbi Yechi is sunny. So the Talmud said, the Talmud said, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi, you gave me life. Right, what the Talmud was saying was, Rebbe, no one has come to visit me, and therefore, by definition, no one has really seen to the needs of the household. Yatsa Rabbi Akiva v'darash. Rabbi Akiva went out and he darshaned. Kol mishe'in mevakir cholim ki'ilu shofech damim. Wow. Rabbi Akiva says, if you don't do bigger cholim, it's like you're shedding blood. Now, I'll say, obviously, this is a bit hyperbolic. Rashi says over here, ki'ilu shofech damim, mipnei shebnei adam shenichnosin levakro, this is really incredible. And what you begin to see is something really amazing, which is the, the Gemara is really building up the concept of Bikr Cholim. So in other words, just on Ahmed Bayes, you see the Mitzvah of Bikr Cholim is this idea that when you visit someone who's sick, by definition, you provide empathy, you provide compassion, and that goes ahead and removes some of the tsar of the person who's suffering. Now the Gemara says, there's also a very utilitarian aspect to Bikr Cholim, which is you go and you see, does the person need anything? Does the person need anything? And if they do need something, if they do need something, I'm going to spring into action and ultimately do for them. 
Incredible. Kiyosu Rav Dimi Amar Kalim Bavakir Asachola, Goyim Moshe Yichya. So when Rav Dimi came along, he said, anyone who goes ahead and visits the sick causes him to live. And I would say, same idea, same idea, because when you go to visit the sick, you're able to see what they need, and by definition, you're able to go ahead and provide for them. V'chol she'inu mevakir ha'sechola, gorei moshi yamos. And I will say, if you don't visit the sick, you cause them to die. Sigmar says, whoa, let's, let's talk about this. Sigmar says, my grandma, what, what does it mean if you visit them, you're causing them to live, and if you don't visit them, you're causing them to die? What is this causation? Maybe it means like this. Anyone who goes to visit a sick person, ultimately davens for them that they should live. And whoever does not go out and do bigacholim, will daven that he should die. Sigmar says, really? Is, is that true? That at the end of the day, you'll daven for a person to die? Sigmar says like this. It's incredible. The Gemara says it's like this, is that if you don't visit a person who is ill, you don't become sensitized enough to their condition, and therefore you don't really daven. Now, I will say, what's riveting about this Gemara, riveting about this Gemara, is if you look at the Lashon, it's very incredible. If you don't visit the sick, you won't daven from for compassion, that he should live or that he should die. We will say, look at the Ran. Get ready for this. Top Ran. Top Ran, left hand column. Look what the Ran says. So we'll say, what's strange about the wording of the Gemara? The Gemara makes it sound like there's a time to daven for a person to live and there's a time to daven for a person to die. So the Ran says something amazing. And I will say, there is a concept of davening for a person to die. There is a concept like this. When says Duran, If you see that a person is dramatically ill, and there is really no reasonable way that they are going to survive the illness, and all that's happening is pain and suffering, ultimately, again, you could daven for the person to die. And the Ran gives examples of this. Ultimately, this happened with Rebbe, his maidservant. So I will say, if you skip down a little bit, So the idea over here is like this. So the Gemara is saying two things. Number one, you truly only know the situation of a person if what? If what? If you visit. Right? Nothing ever replaces seeing something for yourself to understand the totality of the event. But I will say what the Ran is sensitizing us to, and this is a very difficult idea in halacha, which is sometimes when a person is suffering terribly and there is no natural way for this person to have a refuah, you are allowed to daven for a person to die. Now I will say what's interesting about this concept is we see we have two like competing concepts. The Imam Masechus Brachas brings down that Afilu Even if a person has a sharp sword against his neck, don't give up on divine compassion. Which sounds like no matter how terrible things look, you always have to believe that Akavish Baruch could come through. And yet here the Gemara is saying you're allowed to daven for someone to die if they are in a terrible, terrible situation. So I will say, th- this is probably sometimes like one of the mo- most difficult things to navigate, 
Because can Hashem perform miracles? Can Hashem perform miracles? Absolutely. Can Hashem Baruch Hu turn around the most dire looking of situations? Absolutely. Does that happen more often than not? No. In other words, the world, Olam Kimin Hago Noheg, right? So most people with an end stage terminal illness die. Die. That's because HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses to allow the world to function in a certain natural order. That's the way that it works. So it's this interesting idea theologically that I have to believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could turn around anything at any time, but at the same time, the world also works in a natural order. So I will say, I'll tell you, someone has been involved like in a lot of these types of situations and families often ask, like, what should we daven for? Do you, da- right? Do you daven for Rafu Shalema? when someone is clearly objectively dying. There, there's no medical remedy, there's no medical intervention. That's it, that's it. So do you daven for refuah shalema? But they're suffering so much, suffering so much. Do I daven for life? Do I daven for death? Do I daven for refuah? So I'm just pointing out, the Gemara over here, this is the Shosh Rebbe, so the idea that you're allowed to daven for death. I've often felt the right thing to do is to daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that the Ribbono Shal Olam should take care of your loved one. That's what you daven for. Because at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. I believe in miracles. I believe in all of my heart with miracles. But I also believe that the world runs according to a certain level of teva, a certain level of nature. And again, if there's no medical intervention for someone who is at the end stage of an illness, the statistical probability is that they're going to die. Could Akash Baruch turn it around? A million percent. So what am I going to say? They should die. They shouldn't die. They should have it. Akash Baruch take care of my loved one. Take care, because at the end of the day, that's what every tefillah is anyway. If you, if you distill every single thing that we daven for, at the end of the day, what is it? Hashem, take care of me. And I'm davening for Parnassah. Maybe I should have Parnassah. I think I should have Parnassah. Maybe I should, maybe I should. Mechash Baruch who knows that if I was dramatically wealthy, right, I didn't win the Powerball. Mechash Baruch who knows, you know why? You know why I didn't win it? Because maybe he knows that if I won it, I'd be another one of those lottery winners, right? You know those stories, right? Are those people like their life goes down in flames, right? Everything was fine. They were totally happy in the trailer, right? Everything was fine, right? Everything was okay. Now what happens? Now they win the lottery and like every single terrible thing that could possibly happen, happens, right? So I think I could do wonderful things with that wealth. I could change the world. Who knows better? So sometimes the best thing you could daven for is who take care of me. A person who has a relative in this type of situation, a loved one in this situation, sometimes it's not, don't daven for life and don't daven for death. Just ultimately, please take care of my loved one in the way that only you know how. Rava. This is interesting, Gimara. Rava, when he was ill, the first day that he was ill, Amr Lahon, Lo Tiglu Le'inish, Delo Lisrei Mazle. Rava said the first day he was ill, he, he, he would be very secretive about it. He would say, I, I don't want anyone to know that I'm ill so that my mazel shouldn't be compromised. They both say, Why, what does it mean his mazel shouldn't be compromised? They both say, if you look at the rush again, the second wide line, lo lisrei mazle, de nafal tura chadudu sakini. They both say, this is an expression, when the ox falls down, sharpen the knife. Meaning what? It's really hard to get an ox down. Right? You know, if you ever do cow tipping, you're right, you know, it's very, it's a joke, okay, right? So again, right, it's very, it's very hard. It's very hard to get the ox down. Once the ox is down, right, it's already down, sharpen the knife. So that's an expression that when someone's down on their luck, right, when someone's suffering through hard times, their whole mazel is eroded. 
So the Rosh says, Ve'ulai bevakashamu etashivakshu sono yira'a yitose chayo. This is incredible. Shravah said like this. Rosh said, get ready for this. Rava knew there are people who didn't like him. Rosh said, think to yourself, it's Rava. It's Rava. How could somebody not like Rava? Shravah said, the rule is in life, if you have any level of communal profile, right? Any, any level, it's always going to be someone, any position of leadership, there's always going to be someone who doesn't like you. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, right? It just means that if you're in the public eye, in some ways, someone's not going to like you. So Rav was concerned like this. Someone who I hear doesn't like, someone who, someone who doesn't like me hears that I'm ill, my mazel's already been compromised. Perhaps they could dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu to punish me for all of my misdeeds. Rav says, I have misdeeds as well. And therefore, again, I'm in a compromised state. Therefore, on the first day that he was ill, he would not have anything announced. After that, if his illness persisted, he would say, go and announce in the marketplace that I'm ill, that people should dive in for me. Listen to this. Whoever hates me will rejoice over the fact that I am ill. And the Pasuk says, The Pasuk says, when your enemy falls, do not go ahead and rejoice. And the Pasuk says, because if you do, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will get upset at you. So Rav said, okay, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will get upset at them. And the HaKadosh Baruch Hu will get upset at them is how? Is by healing me. So it's okay. So people get happy, that I, people become happy that I'm ill. I'll benefit from that. And those who love me, or those who have compassion on me, the boy alai rachami. Ultimately, again, will have rachmaras on me. Incredible. I'm a Rav. So we'll say, by the way, this is another piece in general. Sometimes when people, be, when people fall ill, chas v'shalom, they often are very, like, secretive about it. And there is something to be said about that. In other words, there is something to be said for preserving one's privacy. On the flip side, one loses out on the opportunity to have others daven for them. So there is, there is, this, there is this balance. So Rabbah does introduce to us this idea of sometimes, at least initially, especially before someone knows what it is exactly that's going on, there may be an element, there may be an element of keeping things a little bit quieter. But again, once the illness persists, one definitely requires the tfilos of the rabbin, the tfilos of the community, and therefore one should go ahead. One doesn't have to shout it from the rooftops, but somehow to publicize the idea, to make it known that so-and-so needs a refuah shalema, and please daven on their behalf. Amarav, Wow. Anyone who goes ahead and visits the sick, ultimately, again, is saved from Gehenim. So we'll say literally again, he who goes ahead and gives his time, and gives of his little seichel to the dal, to the chola, will be saved on the terrible day. Terrible day reference to Gehenim. From this pasuk, so therefore, again, if you visit the sick, you're saved from Gehenim. And if you visit the sick, what's your reward? What do you mean, what's my reward? We just said, the reward is you're saved from Gehenim. So the fact that I'm saved from Gehenim, that's my reward in the afterlife. What's my reward in this world? Hashem Yishmereyu V'yichayehu V'osheh V'aretz V'altit Neyu B'nefesh Shaybav So we'll say, what does this mean? Hashem Yishmereyu Hashem will watch me Mi Yitzhahara Hashem will guard me from the Yitzhahara V'yichayehu 
Hashem will give me life, meaning Hashem will save me from suffering. Wealth in this world, everyone ultimately, again, will honor and will give honor to me and take honor in me. They will say, by the way, if you think about it, why is there so much reward? Why is there so much reward associated with Bikr Cholim? It's so fast. We'll say, listen to this. So if you, we'll just watch what's happening over here. If you do Bikr Cholim, we'll say, what happens? Do Bikr Cholim, first of all, after 120, you're saved from Gehenna, which for many of us, that's a big thing. That, that, that is a very big thing, I will say, because chances are there's going to be some stint. For me, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about this. I know what I've done in life, and chances are I'm going to need some cleansing, hopefully, before I'm able to go on to go Olam Haba. So the ability to be saved from Gehenna is, is a very big thing. And then in this world, I will say, listen to the reward in this world. You get saved from the Yitzhahara, right? Ultimately, again, you get saved from suffering and covered and covered. Incredible. What's the Pshat? I think the Pshat is like this. Bikr Cholim is often a very uncomfortable mitzvah. Bikr Cholim and Nichlom Avelim. They're both uncomfortable. They're both, you know, it's interesting. What One of the fascinating things that, that I often see by Nichlom Avelim is, you know when people really start going to Shiva Minyanim? When people really start going to Shiva Minyanim? after they sit Shiva themselves, or someone they love sits Shiva. Because then you realize like how crucial it is for people to help, right? Like in other words, you're at the mercy of the community. You're sitting, person is sitting in their house, right? I, I, I need nine other people to come, right? My friends, not my friends, I just, and so you become like, totally, you, you recognize how, how necessary it is. So I'll say, what's the pshat? Why is it that often, and same thing with Bikr Cholim, by the way, Bikr Cholim, people really only get involved truly in Bikr Cholim if they've either been on the receiving end of it or ultimately, again, have had a relative who has really needed and seen others come through. Why is that? I will say, I'll tell you, I think my theory with this is because it's an uncomfortable mitzvah. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to go to a Shiva home. It is. Because you know what happens? You go in, you sit there. So sometimes you go in there and the Avel is like all talkative and, and great. And sometimes you go there and what happens? Silence. And you don't know what to do. And you don't know like, so, okay, do I just get up after two minutes? Wait. I'm waiting for like, it's kind of like exiting WhatsApp groups. Like in other words, all I need is one person to do it. Just, just I need that one person to do it. And then there's like, then there's like a flow. It's like Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Then we could go, right? And, and, and a base Avel, all I need is one person. Just just, just get up. Just get up. Once the person get up, it's like, I'll, I'll just kind of stand behind them, right? We'll, we'll walk out together. It's uncomfortable. Beaker Cholim, you go to visit someone who's sick. They're, they're in a hospital bed. They're at home. It's uncomfortable. It's un that's why, I said, that's why we naturally avoid these mitzvahs. Meaning, I love Yiddishkeit. And I'll do anything. But I, as long as it's comfortable... The moment that it makes me uncomfortable is the moment I, I just don't want to do it until I realize how necessary it is. So I will say, Baruch Hu realized this as well. Therefore, the more uncomfortable a mitzvah is, the more schar there is for doing it. Because to do the mitzvah bigger cholim, you have to fundamentally move yourself out of your comfort zone. When Kaddish Baruch Hu says, you move yourself out of your comfort zone, I'm going to give you more comfort in the afterlife. What's more comfort in the afterlife? No Gehenim. And not only that, I'm going to give you more comfort in this world. I'm going to remove the Yitzhahara. I'm going to help save you from the Yitzhahara. Struggle. I'm going to save you from suffering. Struggle. I'm going to go ahead and lift you up. That people, Baruch Hashem, give you covet. People treat you nicely. 
You go out of your comfort zone, you sacrifice some of your personalistic comfort. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'll give you more comfort in the world to come and I'll give you more comfort in this world. I will say, it's just sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs from us. And Rosie, you know, by the way, I, I will tell you the most incredible things is by Shiva homes. I will say, do you know when people are sitting Shiva, do you know the visits they remember most? I can't tell how many times I've heard you know, the visits they remember most, not from their friends, because you always expect your friends to come. It's that guy who you know from shul, who you never said two words to. You're like, wow, he came. Those are the most memorable, it's an incredible thing. Those, those are, because no one expected you to come because you're not a close friend. And you, like, you showed up every day for Minyan or whatever, once, once for Minyan. Well, it's incredible. So you ask anyone who's ever said Shiva and you ask them the most memorable visits, the people who you never expected to come and then they show up. You lift up, and it's not even an in-person visit. You lift up the phone, you go out and you call someone. Like, wow, wow, that person called me? I didn't even know they knew who I was. Or I know they knew who I was, but like, we, don't, we never even shared two words. And they cared enough to go ahead and visit me or call me. Bosa makes all the difference in the world. When you're willing to move yourself out of your comfort zone, there is no telling what you could do for the other individual and no telling the reward that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has in store for you. Incredible. So Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, I'm sorry, I didn't finish up. I'm sorry, I stopped mid-sentence. We'll say now that the mitzvah for Bikah Cholim, sorry, I got a little carried away. Right, the mitzvah Bikah Cholim is, furthermore, the reward for Bikah Cholim is, she is damnu lo reyim. You get more friends. Now, both say, so where, where do you see you get more friends? Kinamon sheripu es sarasov. So both say, this is the story of Naaman, which we're not going to get into now. Naaman was an Aramean general who was healed from his saras by Elisha. So both say, listen to this. You do bigger cholim, what do you get? You get more friends, which I both say is just a de facto reality, right? You do nice things for other people, people will be there for you as well. And you'll avoid negative friends like Rechabam. We'll get to that in just a moment, right? Because Rechabam was the son of Shlomo HaMelech. He had bad friends, bad friends who gave him bad advice. Tanya, Bosa, here we go. This is just, it's almost like too good to have this all in one day. It should be divided up over. Let's listen to this. Tanya, Rishon Allah Omer, Im Yomu Lecha Yeladim Bnei Uzikainim Sesar. Bosa, get ready for this, Kimara. Let's say, Bosa, if young people tell you you should build, and old people tell you you should demolish. Listen to older people and ignore the advice of younger people. Why? The building of young people is demolition and the demolition of older people is building. How do we know this? So just for similar how do we know this? Rechavam ben Shlomo. Rechavam was the son of Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo dies, Rechavam takes over. Rechavam decided to go in and clean out his father's cabinet, like, like officers, and he replaced his father's officers, his father's officials, with all of his buddies. What was the problem? They were young, impulsive guys. And they told Rechavam, you know what, if you want to solidify your reign, rule with an iron hand. Rule with an iron hand. Raise taxes, do what you have. Show them, show them who's boss. Now, Shlomo's former advisors said to Rechavim, they urged him, don't do that. Rule with love. Rule with compassion. Yeah, you have to be stern at some times, 
but rule with an open heart. And ultimately, again, the people will, will, will coalesce around you. Rechavam ignored the advice of his father's advisors, went with his young friend advisors, and the kingdom split. The kingdom split. So we're going to see this in tomorrow's Dafa as well. Great week ahead of us. This kingdom split, right? Went half of it, stayed with Rechavam, and the other half, ultimately, again, the ten tribes, went with Yeravam ben Nevat. So we'll say, isn't this an incredible idea? That what the Gemara is teaching us is get advice from people who have life experience. Because the worst thing you could do is get advice. We'll say sometimes, you know, I remember, we'll say, this was about, I'm here 20 years, Emir Hashem, this, this, this summer. My first year here, we are Scotland residents. I'm not going to say who it was. Scotland residents. And he got up to speak. And he said to me, oh, you're so young. He said, so young. He's like, how old are you? I said, I don't know, I was 25, 26. So, so he said, oh, don't worry about it. Youth, it's a mum over. Mum over. So I say there are two different types of mumin, right? Two different blemishes. There's a permanent blemish, right? And a blemish that goes away, that heals. He says, don't worry, youth is a blemish that heals. <laughs> and when he said it, I was like, so taken like, oh, shalom aleichem to you. Welcome to our community, right? Eh? So, so taken aback. And then the truth is, the truth is that, 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 that statement has always stayed with me. And it is, it is such a truism. There's such profundity in that. You see, when you're young, you think you know everything. And the truth is, then you get older and you realize, I don't know anything now. I don't know anything now. Forget about when I was young. I knew even less then. That's the Gemara saying. You know, if you have two different groups of people speaking to you, right? And the young people are telling you to build and the old people are telling you to demolish, so to speak. It's a metaphor. Go with the old, even though building always looks great. Dynamic growth. Be careful. Be careful because sometimes that which looks like it's good, in fact, is not good at all. So make sure what you are sensitizing us to is all of us need to turn to people for advice, right? Because at the end of the day, if you think that you could solve all of life's challenges on your own without third-party intervention, without third-party advice, you're wrong and you're fooling yourself. All of us need people we could turn to. And I will say, by the way, I want to point out, it could be anyone. The idea that you are saying is make sure it's someone with life experience. Because sometimes, ultimately, your life experience gives you the greatest amount of knowledge you need. That's why I will say, what do you call an older person? A zakin, right? What is zakin? Zakin, zakin, zakin stands for zeshekana one who has acquired life wisdom. And I will say, what happens if a person is old, but they've never learned the word of Torah? They're still called a zakin. Why? Because there's a certain amount of wisdom that comes just from living life. Even if you haven't learned Torah, there's a certain amount of wisdom that just comes from life experience. Make sure to get your advice in life from people who have life experience. Incredible, incredible. I want to shish read Ravidi. I want to say, Lo lissot inish ketzira, lo betlas shayi kadmaisa, lo betlas shayi basraisa diyoma. I want to say, this is very interesting. A person shouldn't visit the sick in the first three hours of the day or the last three hours of the day. Why? Because I will say, what's the problem? If you visit someone who's ill in the first three hours, last three hours, you're not going to properly daven for them. Why not? Listen to this. Often, in the first thing in the morning, the person who is ill is feeling good. So what happens if you go to visit them in the morning? You're going to see them. You're going to say, oh, they're doing great. So I'm not going to daven for them as much. Right? Basraisa, if you go to visit in the last three hours of the day, often a person is feeling even sicker. And what's going to happen? You're going to say, oh, 
he's a goner. He's a goner, right? There's no point in, I mean, not an exact quote, but there's no, no, point, no point in davening for him, right? He's already passed any kind of help. So therefore, don't visit in the first three hours. Don't visit. But say what is also, what we're also going to say, but say is that there's an etiquette in Bikr Cholim and making sure that when you do visit, it's at a convenient time for the chola. Shabbos say often a person is getting up in the morning, a chola needs a little bit more time to get themselves together. Or a person is winding down their day, they're often not up for a visit. So again, it's twofold. Number one, you want to make Shabbos say, see, it's so interesting. What you begin to see is, why do I visit a sick person? Number one, because it's a mitzvah. Number two, because when I do so, I remove some, ele- excuse me, some element of their pain. Number three, if they need something, I'm going to know I can have actually physically help them. Number four, when I see the person, when I see him, I'm more motivated to dive in for them. So this is really going in number four. In the realm of tefillah, making sure to see the reality of their circumstances. What the Gemara is saying is, in the first three hours and last three hours of the day, you don't see the reality of their circumstances, right? You, 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 you're not seeing the real them. It's the middle of the day that you see how they're truly fair. Incredible. Amarav and Amarav. How do you know that a Kodesh Baruch Hu sustains a person who is ill? We'll say the Pasuk says, literally again, Hashem will go ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. Hashem will support them. Literally means to support, right? Sa'ad, the Gemara is understanding to mean from a lotion of like sustenance. Al eres davai on their sick bed. Resides at the head of the bed of the chola. Literally, I should say above the bed of the chola. that supports this is incredible. If one goes to visit a sick person, lo person shouldn't sit on a bed. So not on a bench. and not in a chair. Rather, a person should wrap himself in his cloak. Sit on the floor. Why? Because the Shechina goes ahead and resides above the bed of the Chola. <coughs> above the bed of the Chola. So the Gemara says, <coughs> the Gemara says, Ultimately, again, Hashem will go ahead and literally support the Chola while he's in his sickbed. Now, I'll point out on this something very interesting. <coughs> Um, if you look at the run, the run on the left hand side, suppose it's interesting. So what seems he's saying is when you visit a sick person, you can't sit on a bed, you can't sit on a bench, you can't sit on a chair, you have to sit on the floor. It seems to have deference to the Shina. The Ran qualifies this and he says, This is Ran says, if the chola is sleeping on the floor, the idea is you can't sit higher than the chola. Why? Because what's right above the chola? The shechina, the divine presence. You can't sit opposite the divine presence. A person has to be lower than the divine presence, the shechina. So therefore, again, essentially, if the chola is on the floor, then what? I have to be on the, on the floor. If the chola is on the bed, then ultimately, again, I just have to be sitting a little bit lower than the bed. There's also an idea, also a concept, of sometimes not sitting on the bed of the chola himself which is an interesting idea brought down in Aloha as well. Out of deference, again, one should always try to be a little bit lower than the Chola in order that one is not positioned at the same level as the Shechina. But I will say, but what an incredible lesson as well. Isn't it fascinating? You see, I will say, we often think that in times of life adversity, 
that's when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not present with me, right? I think if I'm suffering, that means HaKadosh Baruch Hu is removed. Yet what does the Gemara say? When a person is ill, the Shekhinah's right there. The Shekhinah's hovering above the head of his bed, right by his head. That's where the Shekhinah is. It's this incredible, it's this incredible reality in life that sometimes in the times that we are suffering most, in the times that we are encountering the most adverse circumstances, those are dafka the times that Hashem is closest. We mistake adversity, meaning that God is absent and there is nothing further from the truth. Sometimes the greater the sickness, the greater the illness, the more intense the adversity, the closer the Shechina actually is to us. An incredible yesod in life. The Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, Amaravin, Amaravin, Amarav, Mitra Sada Rabba Pras. I will say, if you want to know when it's raining in Eretz Yisrael, the greatest witness to the rains of Eretz Yisrael is the Euphrates, is the Euphrates, the Euphrates, well, it's the Euphrates River. Why did I say? When it rains in Eretz Yisrael, the water trickles from Eretz Yisrael into the Euphrates. So when the Euphrates becomes swollen, that means that what? That means that what? It's raining in Eretz Yisrael. So the Gemara says, Upliga de Shmuel, this argues on Shmuel, Damar Shmuel, Nara Mikafifa Mizbarech. So Shmuel holds that a river, Right, a river is normally fed from its own from its own springs. So Shmuel holds that rivers are not really fed by rain; they're fed by their own subterranean springs. So therefore, again, when the Euphrates becomes swollen, that's not from rainwater of Eretz Yisrael, but rather what? That's from its own spring. Upligi the Shmuel, the Shmuel. Now, I'll say the truth: is Shmuel argues on himself. What does Shmuel say? Damar Shmuel, ein hamayim etarin bezochlin ella. See, you thought I wasn't going to make it. You thought I wasn't going to make it. Hey, it's not my first rodeo. Come on, I was like, so listen to this, I was like, so get ready. So it says the girl like this. So Shmuel says like this. Shmuel says, well, say, just let me talk to you about this outside for just a moment. Well, say, the Allah is like this. A mikvah, a mikvah could be comprised of two things. A mikvah could be a natural body of water. An ocean could be a mikvah. A lake could be a mikvah. A river could be a mikvah as well. Rainwater could also create a mikvah. They will say, but what's the difference? Rainwater could only serve as a mikvah if it's collected and pooled. Flowing rainwater cannot go ahead and serve as a mikvah. Now, flowing natural water, in other words, if you have, if you have a river, if you have a river that's a flowing river, that can serve as a mikvah. But Allah Khalamaisa, rainwater only works as a mikvah if it's pulled and collected. So watch this. So Shmuel says, in the first lesson on Amadalif, again, the Shmuel, Normally, again, he says, water cannot go ahead and serve as a mikvah when it's flowing, except the Euphrates in Tishrei. What's the shot with the Euphrates in Tishrei? So remember again, by the time you get to Tishrei, Tishrei means you've gone through the whole summer. At that point in time, the water that's in the Euphrates is no longer rainwater. It's no longer flowing rainwater. So Shmuel is essentially saying that you could use the Euphrates as a mikvah, but only during Tishrei, when you know for sure that it's no longer flowing rainwater, but rather, again, it's pulled, collected water. So Avuah de Shmuel, so we'll say just along these same lines, Avuah de Shmuel, Avid lahon nisan. So we'll say, listen to this, as a result of this, very interesting, the father of Shmuel would make mikvahs for his daughters during the days of Nisan. Now, Bosei Duran says, actually, what he would do is he would make indoor mikvahs 
for his daughters. Now, say, now what's happening over here? Shmuel's father was concerned that if his daughters would use natural bodies of water for, for a mikvah during Nisan, I'm saying, what's Nisan? Remember, what's Nisan? Nisan already, again, the rainy season is over, right? Because remember, again, Nisan is already the beginning of spring. But again, in many bodies of water, you still have rainwater flowing in. Shmuel was concerned that if his daughter would use, that if his daughters would use mikvos of natural bodies of water, they'd really be immersing in flowing rainwater. And that's a problem. I will say, now again, rainwater could be used for a mikvah. But when is rainwater, when, when could it be used? When could it be used? When it's gathered. I will say, by the way, that's how our mikvos work, right? I have a mikvah that has rainwater, right? It's as long as it's pooled rainwater, totally fine. So Shmuel's father was concerned that if his daughter is used outdoor mikvos during, up, even during, up until Nisan, ultimately again, they would be immersing in flowing rainwater. So what did he do? He dug for them, he made for them indoor mikvos. Well, see, how do you make an indoor mikvah? It's not so complicated. Dig a big hole, right? Create a cistern that collects rainwater and then allow the rainwater ultimately again to collect in, in, in the mikvah, in the, in the hole, and you have a mikvah. You have a mikvah. So that's a different one. What else would he do? Um, so I said, listen to this. Now, in, in Tishrei, as we said before, can you use the Euphrates as a mikvah in Tishrei? Can you use the Euphrates? Yes. Yes. Why? Why? Because at Tishrei, there's no concern of flowing rainwater. I will say, but there is a different problem about the Euphrates in Tishrei, which is the bottom of the Euphrates was very muddy. So what was the problem? The concern was that if a woman was using the Euphrates as a mikvah, what's going to happen when she walks in there? Her feet sink into the mud. What's the concern? What's the concern? Chatzitza. So Shmuel's father made like mats for his daughters. So they would take the mat into the Euphrates. They would stand on the mat. This way, their feet wouldn't sink into the mud. And ultimately, again, there was no problem. There was no problem, ultimately, again, of a chatzitza in the mikvah. So we'll say, so again, just, just an interesting idea. So therefore we'll say, just an interesting hill host mikvos. Rainwater works as long as it's collected, right? The moment that it's flowing, it can't work. And therefore ultimately, again, you have Shmuel saying that Allah Almighty said you could use the Euphrates in Tishrei. Father of Shmuel made his daughters indoor mikvos during the rainy season so that they shouldn't run into any flowing rainwater issues and mats for the Euphrates, ultimately, again, so that the mud should not pose the chatzitzes. Rebosei, let's stop over here for today. Let's cap in a few minutes of Mesila Sisharim. Rebosei, tremendous eshkach. I just want to tell you, tomorrow also, ridiculous. Ridiculously good tomorrow, Rebosei. Let's go. We have just a few minutes. Let's cap. All right, Jabal say good morning. So we are picking up today on Sunday. Sunday, it's a short piece today. Sunday, the 10th of Kislev, December 4th. The Ramchal writes as follows. Jabal say this is incredible. The Ramchal writes and see the younger sister, the younger sister, ultimately again of jealousy. What's the younger sister of jealousy? Chemda is desire and taiva. Jabal say the truth is chemda and taiva often translate in the same way, right? They both go ahead and they mean desire, right? So the younger sister of jealousy is desire. But let's say a person could be consumed with desire, and we're going to talk about different desires until the day that they die. But let's say, but when a person dies, 
he hasn't even gone ahead and acquired all of his tithes. In other words, when a person leaves this world, they haven't even acquired half of the things they desire. That, that's how profound desires. You can spend a lifetime trying to satisfy your desires, and yet by the time you leave this world, you haven't even satisfied half of them. Generally, taiva desire manifests itself in two ways. One is the desire for money. And we're going to see desire for money itself even manifests itself in a variety of ways. The second is a desire for covet, for honor. Both are terrible. And they cause, they cause man terrible pain. Terrible pain. Let's analyze. The desire for money, Rabbi the desire for money, literally again, Oseris, chains one, encumbers a person in, in the chains, in the shackles of this world, and ultimately puts upon him the yoke of work and Azra Osav. Also, we're going to see that ultimately the desire for money sometimes makes you a slave to work. A slave to work. He says, If you love money, you never get enough money. What happens? What happens? If my life is all about money, then I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get that money. And we, before we even get into like illicit activity, what it just means is the making of money is going to take priority over anything else in life even my avodas Hashem. The making of money will become first and foremost in my life. Hine kama tfilos nevados, person will miss davening. The kama mitzos nishkakos, and a person will miss doing mitzvahs. Mepnei rov ha'esik v'egiyas hamon ha'schorah. To make the sale, to make money. Koshkein talmud Torah. See, I say it's an incredible thing. What the Gemara, what, what, what the Amchal is saying over here is, if the essence of my life becomes the pursuit of money, then at the end of the day, I will say, at the end of the day, what? At the end of the day, that becomes a priority. And it takes precedence over dapping. And it takes precedence, precedence over mitzvahs. And it takes precedence, ultimately again, over, over avodas Hashem. It takes precedence over everything. That's what happens when a person falls in love with money. He goes on, he says, I will say, by the way, I want to point out over here, he's not even talking about Averus. He's not talking about Averus. He's not talking about cheating. He's talking about when, my, when the most important thing in my life becomes my parnasa, that takes precedence over everything. So I don't daven in the same way. I don't do mitzvahs in the same way. I don't do chesed in the same way. Because my parnasa, my making of money, takes precedence over all. Money becomes king. Cash becomes king. The learning, often learning is compromised because all I know, I know I need to make money. Sometimes again, a person even goes overseas to make money. Now, I will say, again, sometimes a person has to travel for money. The Shaila just is, am I traveling to make parnasa? Or am I traveling because at the end of the day, I just want more and more and more? And does that desire for more ultimately come at the expense of my ruchnius? Very often, those who are successful in business do not necessarily become Tamidi Chachamim. That doesn't mean that person who is successful can't be a Tamid Chacham. The idea say is that Ramchal's pointing out that sometimes the desire or the pursuit of material success has comes at a collateral cost of one's Ruchnius. Hiyamasores, Hiyamasores, Osolas Sakonas Rabos, 
And I will say, ultimately, again, it could put me, the desire running after money could put me in dangerous situations, often spiritually dangerous situations, and weakens my koach, saps me of my vitality because I'm consumed by worry, right? I'm always worried about this deal. I'm always worried about that deal. I'm always worried about what's going to unfold in my parnasa. I feel the and I will say, this is true even after I've had a lot of success, Baruch Hashem. I have money in the bank. I've been successful. But still, because I always want more, because I always want to do more, accomplish more, grow more, make more, I am consumed by constant worry over my parnasa. Chazal said, sometimes I will say, the more you have, the more worry you have. Sometimes the pursuit of parnasa ultimately causes me to go ahead and causes me to go ahead and violate tenets of the Torah, right? And sometimes even causes me to violate logical things that I should know better. And I was saying, what I want to point out here is something very interesting. The great challenge that Ramchal is outlining over here, I will say, is the fine line between a drive for success and allowing that drive for success to eclipse everything else in life. See, I was saying, a person should never settle for mediocrity, even in their parnasa. We should have a drive to be successful. In other words, I will say, I firmly believe, when it comes to your parnasa, you should never strive simply to make enough money to pay your bills. You should strive to be successful. Strive, strive to be successful, because the drive for success is a powerful thing. What Ramchal is saying is, the drive of success itself has to be tempered. And so how, how, do you, how, how, do you, how do you create that balance when the drive for success does not encumber my ruchnius? So I'm still davening with the minion. I'm still going ahead and learning shtark every single day. I'm involved in chesed. I'm doing the things I need to do out my ruchnius. Then I know that the drive for success is not chas v'sholem encroaching on my ruchnius. But the moment that the drive for material success erodes my spirituality, then suddenly there's something wrong. Then, then, then I know already, I've, and I will say, how counterintuitive is it, right? As if, as if we think, as if I think that by cutting corners with my spirituality, sometimes I'm going to be more successful. What? I'm a firm Jew. I know that a Kaddish Baruch Hu holds the key to Parnasa. So somehow, by going ahead and diminishing, cutting corners, eroding my spirituality, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to be materially successful. You see, when you say it, it sounds so foolish. But yet we do this all of the time. I have this tension, right? My parnasa, my ruchnius. And whether we realize it or not, often we allow parnasa to win over ruchnius. Dramchal says, what is that from? That's from chemdas hamamon. That's from the desire for money. And we have to be so incredibly careful about that. Should you have a desire for material success? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that desire has to be kept in check. The moment that that desire encroaches on my spirituality, that's when already, again, it's out of control. That's ultimately, again, when that desire becomes something. That's no longer a desire for success. That's what's called chemdas mamon, a desire for money. The moment it becomes a desire for money is the moment that I'm down the wrong path. Have the desire for success but make sure it never comes at the expense of your So we'll stop over here for today. Again, I know we're not doing the full part of our session. We'll pick up, well, we have more time tomorrow. We'll pick up with this piece of Osai. Shkoyach.